It's built into our nature to really love order. We love when things work out as they're meant to work out. When you, if you're an accountant, maybe your numbers all are perfect at the end of the day, and you can close your computer and say, ah, that was great. Or maybe uh, you're a craftsman, and you make something beautiful, and it's all as it should be. The measurements work out. Some people obsess about order, and it gets a little bit carried away. There's videos online of people cutting cakes perfectly. Slice by slice, 30 degrees by 30 degrees, and by the end, it's just beautiful. Or someone displays a large track of dominoes, and they knock one over in this beautiful array. It comes to the end, and you're just like, that was exactly what it was supposed to be. I'm refreshed. <laughs> there is order in the world. But one of my favorite videos on the internet, which also makes me crazy, is someone played off of this idea. And segment after segment, they bring forth a cake, and they're slowly approaching, and you're like, this is going to be so nice. And then they just start smashing the cake with the knife. Or a beautiful display of dominoes again, and as their hand goes towards it to start it, they just smash it all. And you're like, no. It's not supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be beautiful. It's supposed to be good. Don't destroy what is good. Last week, we were meditating on creation, the goodness, the beauty that creation is, and the wonder that it sparks in our hearts. Now here, we're blessed to be in Colorado, and we realize that creation is beautiful. We long for the mountains. We long to go out on adventures, to be back with nature in beauty. But that is such a small taste of what the garden was like before the fall. Last week, we meditated on the goodness of creation before sin and death entered the world. When God created the world as it was meant to be, beautiful, good, the Hebrew is tov, when God creates something good to behold, to be desired. As a recap, let's go back to the garden, in our own hearts, to taste of the fruits of that goodness in our imagination. Oftentimes when we think it's just a brief two chapters, really, that describes what the garden was like. And then the rest of the Bible is utter chaos of God trying to bring his people back to himself until, boom, he sends his son. But if we go back to the garden, sometimes we don't spend enough time there to really walk among the trees, to walk in the cool of the day with the Lord. To imagine what Adam and Eve would have done, how they would have interacted before the fall. John Paul II talks about in the created order, there were four good relationships. Us with God, us with creation, us with other human beings, and us with ourself. And before the fall, these were perfect. And all of these led to a deeper intimacy with Christ, or with God. 
Maybe Christ there in the garden walking around with them, the word present. All perfectly live in perfect harmony, not just ecological, economic harmony, but at the depth of the soul, this is how it's meant to be. Imagine with creation, yes, not only did the trees provide all the food that Adam and Eve would have needed, and every bird and every beast would have had their fill without death, without destruction, without pain. But not only was all of creation then providing for man, but in itself a beauty to behold. How did the trees grow? Well, the weather perfectly brought forth the nutrients needed from the earth, from the sky, from the clouds, without storm, without tornado, without hurricane, without death, without pain. The harmony the peace. And when you behold it, you did not seek to worship it. But Adam and Eve, beholding the beauty of creation, would immediately glorify God. They'd brush by the branch of a tree and their hearts would rejoice. How beautiful. How amazing. How much more then when Adam finally beholds the one for whom he has been waiting animal after animal, beast after beast, none of them are fitting for him. And finally, the pinnacle of all creation, the procession leads all the way up to Eve, the beautiful bride. Now we might think, oh, they probably had a good 15 minutes before the fall of just like hanging out, chatting, you know, like, wasn't that fun? No, imagine their actual relationship the goodness and the truth flowing from their lips to one another. A word spoken between them would not have been confusable, misinterpretable. It would not have been possible to be passive-aggressive in the garden before the fall. <laughs> what you say is what you mean. And it expresses not just your thoughts, but your very person. And you speak, maybe a simple word, Adam saying, Eve, good morning. And it's truth. And there's no fear. There's no confusion. And in that simple word, he not only communicates a reality of this morning is Tov. What a great Tov morning. No. There's something of himself given to her. And when she responds in kind, Adam, good morning. Imagine the bond, the connection. And that's simply by saying good morning. Then you can follow the progression. Imagine the intimacy of the embrace of the couple. No fear. Perfect vulnerability with perfect receptivity. A perfect gift of oneself with their body. Imagine the beauty, the glory, and the freedom that could have been. And then with themselves. When Adam would have looked inside himself, inside his heart, inside his desires, inside his own passions, inside his thoughts, when he would have turned inward, it would almost be like a trampoline that he would turn inward and praise you, Lord. Turning inward would never fall into the deep depths of darkness within oneself because there was none. 
When he looked inside himself, when Eve looked inside herself, they saw goodness, beauty, the image and likeness of God. And all they could do when they looked within, when they looked in the eyes of their beloved, and when they looked at creation around them, all they could do was praise, glorify, and love their creator. Now, if that doesn't stir your hearts, I don't know what does. I want to be there. I want to experience that. I want the freedom of love. We can imagine walking with Adam and Eve in the garden, walking with God, and we look around, and our heart, our mind, our very being just shouts out, what wonder, what beauty, what goodness, what glory we behold here. It is good that we are here. That is how it was meant to be. That is how God created it for us. This is where it gets dark. Instead of walking through the garden in your imagination, walk through our world. Walk through the streets of Denver. Walk through the halls of your very home. Walk through the channels of your own heart. And it's very different. What do we see? Violence. Addiction. Slavery. Hatred. Murder. Rape. Evil upon evil upon evil leading to death. Loneliness. Despair. Isolation. Brothers and sisters, the world is not as it's meant to be. And when we walk through the streets, we say, God, where are you? Where have you gone? Now, this homily will be a little bit weird because we're going to pretend Jesus hasn't come yet. But the good news is he has. <laughs> That's next week. Rescued. But insert ourselves, let's, let's place ourselves there from the time of creation and Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden through all of the patriarchs, through all of the Old Testament, longing and waiting for our Savior. When, O oh Lord, will you come? When will we come to the end of our pilgrimage and see the face of God? And for us, it's not that hard to imagine. Because death still exists. Evil is still rampant in our world and in our own hearts. We live in a world that is already rescued, but also not yet. Not yet perfected, not yet assumed, not yet glorified as Jesus wants it to be and as we long for. The Book of Wisdom, chapter 2, says, For God made man incorruptible, and to the image of his own likeness he made him. That's the beauty. God made man in his image and likeness. How intimate and close. When we look at each other, we see something of God. In the very next verse, but by the envy of the devil, death entered the world. And they who are allied with him experience it. Jesus is king of the universe, but in many ways, Satan is still king of this world. 
and we long for and wait for the final coming of our King. This is one of the aspects that we celebrate in Advent. Jesus' final coming as King in glory that all might kneel before him and all creation might be fulfilled. And then as Advent continues on, we long for his coming, his first coming, as a tiny babe at Christmas. But for us to understand truly the gift that God has given us in his son, what it means to be rescued, you can't understand our redemption and being rescued unless you understand what we're being rescued from. So today, yes, it gets dark. And we're going to focus on evil, sin, death. In the world, in ourselves. But we do this so that we might have a greater awareness of two things. First, our minds and our hearts might receive the light from the Holy Spirit to see how Satan works. To see the tactics of the devil so that we can continue to fight. But to recognize, too, that we still long for the coming of Christ. We still long for salvation here and now. And no matter how hard we fight, no matter how hard we try to grow in virtue, to grow in holiness in our world today, without Jesus Christ, we are left to death. St. Ignatius of Loyola says, without Jesus Christ, we wound, we kill, and we go down to hell. So one of the graces that the Archdiocese is praying for today is a strange grace. At first you might say, this is weird, I don't like that. It's the grace of despair. Not final despair, not ultimate despair, but the grace to have the lens on our eyes that says, where would I be without Jesus Christ? And the only answer is despair. What would my life be like if I did not have access to grace and redemption and healing, forgiveness? I would be alone. I would be dead inside and I would continue to hurt myself and others. Again, in the back of your mind, always keep Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus is our savior. He loves us. Don't give in to the final despair that that could lead to. But the reality is to understand the gift of redemption, we must understand our fall. So how did this happen? By the envy of the devil. What is his tactic against Adam and Eve that is the same tactic all through the Old Testament and in your heart and mine? Did God really say that you shall not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Did he really say that you would die? Surely you will not die. Satan's tactic in every age is to take a large golf club and hit us right at the feet. Where we stand on the foundation of trust in God, he wipes our feet out from under us. He tempts us to believe against the goodness of God. And we see this playing out in these four areas of creation. As soon as Adam and Eve grasp for what is good, 
They behold the fruit in hine matov. It is good, behold. But they take it in their own time for themselves, not trusting in God. When Abraham wants an heir that God has promised him, be patient, I will give you a son, he grasps at his maidservant rather than his wife, trusting that God will give him what is good in his time. When David desires what is beautiful in Bathsheba, the good things that God can offer in love, he is not where he should be. And he grasps at her and takes him to himself, seeing how tov, how good she truly is. This theme repeats and repeats and repeats throughout salvation history. In our brokenness, we see what is good. And in fear, and in selfishness, and in a lack of trust in the goodness of God, we reach out and grasp so that we might have control, so that we might take it to ourselves without needing to be dependent upon our Creator. And Satan does this so easily. All he needs to do is enter into a little area where truth resides and twist it. Notice the conversation between the serpent, Satan, and Eve. Did God really say that? He sows a seed of doubt. Surely you will not die, which in a way is true, but it's also not true. They won't physically die when they take of the fruit, but their relationship with God is divided. And from that, from that severing, that division between them and God, all of the other dominoes fall down in a horrendous way. Their relationship with creation, broken. Their relationship between themselves, broken. Their relationship within their very own identity, broken. In creation, we look at it, what happens afterwards? Floods, torrential downpours, destruction, all of creation is out of whack, twisted. We now battle against the earth to cultivate the fruits of the world rather than them flowing forth from the trees to land in our palm. We fear the waters that rise each season. We fear the hurricanes that flood and bring destruction to our safety. That's scary enough, but what about our relationships with each other? where we can't trust a word that another says because we say, I don't know if they will my good. I don't know if I can trust them. I don't know where their heart is because I've been hurt, because I've been abused, because I have been stepped upon and I need to protect myself against them. And yet, when the little word of truth creeps in, it can transform everything. And then our relationship with ourself. After the fall, we turn within, we look within. And before Jesus Christ, what do you find? Emptiness. Absence. The image of God is ruptured as a statue would be cast upon the ground. When we look at each other, we no longer see the glory of God in fulfillment, but we see an enemy, someone who can hurt me. 
When we look within ourselves, we see weakness, sinfulness, darkness, again and again and again. This should spurn in us, then, the longing for the return to the garden, the longing for the harmony and the peace that can be found there and only there, where we dwell with God and walk with him side by side. And ultimately, it can only come in Jesus Christ. It can only come when the Father sends his Son to be the sacrificial lamb for our redemption. In this Mass, as well as next week, we experience that redemption here in image and in eternity and fulfillment and perfection when Christ comes again. Advent is this place. Advent is this place of we know he is coming, but we still experience death and we long for him to come. The images that we receive from the readings today are beautiful to display this in visual form. Imagine for a second Adam and Eve being cast out from the garden. And each step they take away is another step of heartbreak. My God, what have I done? My God, can I go back and finally confess and say, I'm sorry, instead of blaming. He did it, she did it, the serpent made us. But each step they take away is a step across the desert. And each wound in humanity's history as humanity and Israel journey across away from paradise. Valleys are forged, mountains grow up, and these are not things of beauty, but these are things that become obstacles between us and God. In the image of Baruch, God is promising to Israel that the people will return to her. They've been gone. They've been harassed. And God says, I so desire your return that I will lower every mountain and I will fill in the age-old gorges so that the way might be straight. Even the trees will shade them as they go on their journey. And all of creation seems to usher them back to Israel. Now this is never perfectly fulfilled until the end of time. And Jesus quotes this from the prophet Isaiah in the gospel. In the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. In your own hearts, in the darkness we find. Through the mercy of God, may every mountain be made low, a mountain of pride, a mountain of selfishness, of our own self-glory and grasping. And may every valley be filled in, the valleys of brokenness, woundedness, where we have nothing because it's been taken from us. May every winding path that we seek the good but we get lost be made straight. And may every rough way be made smooth, where we're tempted, we're inclined to trip and fall. This is the work that Jesus and Jesus alone can offer to us, and he desires our cooperation. Brothers and sisters, John the Baptist was dwelling in the desert when the word of God came to him. The word of God came to him when he was open and available to saying, I need you. I cannot provide for myself. I cannot grasp when I live in the desert in a time of penitence like Advent and like Lent. 
but it's really the state of our humanity. If one phrase sticks with you today, don't walk away with, I need the grace of despair. Don't walk away with, wow, humanity is really, you know, messed up. Fill in whatever word you want there. If we have one prayer, if we have one desire today, it's, my God, I am in need of a Savior. I am in need of a Savior because I want to go back to the garden. I want to go to the place where creation is fulfilled, where my words flow from my heart in trust, and where when I look within myself, I see wholeness, beauty, goodness that I desire to share. And brothers and sisters, to spoil the end of the story, it's possible. Jesus Christ, with his blood, has paid the price. It's no longer impossible to cross the great Grand Canyon of sin. It's no longer impossible to go over the great mountains that could keep us from God. Rather, through baptism, through the Eucharist, through frequent confessions, the garden bursts into life within our very soul. Heaven dwells here in a taste so that we might long for it more and more. So brothers and sisters, as we walk from pew to altar, from world to garden, from danger to life, wherever Satan might in your own heart bring fear, lack of trust, lack of hope, final despair, wherever he might accuse or lie or divide or flatter you to pump you up, wherever he might tempt you or discourage you, beg the Holy Spirit to illuminate those areas in your life. As you walk forward, say, Jesus, I need a Savior. Jesus, my family needs a Savior. Jesus, our world needs a Savior. And as we sing with the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the chords are dissonant and minor. There's something incomplete about the progressions. It doesn't fully resolve, and yet we're screaming out, Rejoice, rejoice. We long for it with a longing beyond words. We desire Him, even though we look in the world for what might satisfy. But we pray even in that dissonance, even in that discomfort, in that deep longing, this Advent today. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Come and save us. Come and redeem us. For we long for what is good. We long for love. And today here he says, I come, I come, O Israel. I come and I give you my very self. So as we walk forward back to paradise, brothers and sisters, open up the depths. Invite him into the deepest, darkest areas of your own soul and say, come, Lord Jesus, come and save me.